This morning's scripture reading comes from the Second Peter chapter three, verses eight to fifteen. Um, you can find this in your pew Bibles on page one zero one nine. That's page one zero one nine, or you can pull it up on your devices, or it'll be projected. Second Peter, chapter three, verses eight to eighteen. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day as is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for those be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I welcome Pastor Jeff up for speaking on waiting well. Good morning. It's good to worship with you. So this past weekend, Avatar, The Way of Water, came out. It's the movie with all the blue people. Now, it's been a movie that's been years in the making, the sequel. And recently, as I was kind of just going online, I came across some articles that started to look back and, and document what it was like when the first Avatar movie came out, like years ago in 2009. And in the weeks after the release of the first Avatar movie, there was an article put up by CNN, and they were reporting uh, all these fans that were experiencing depression and even suicidal thoughts after watching the movie and longing to enjoy the beauty of this visually stunning world Pandora that James Cameron had created on screen. And so there were these forums online that were dedicated to this movie. One of the threads that kind of kick-started it all was titled, Ways to Cope with the Depression of the Dream of Pandora Being Intangible. It had over a thousand posts, and then it gave birth to tons more forum threads and, and replies and so people were saying things like, one person wrote, When I woke up this morning after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It was like my whole life, everything I've done and worked for, lost its meaning. 
Another person wrote, ever since I went to see Avatar, I have been depressed. Watching the wonderful world of Pandora and all the Navi made me want to be one of them. I even contemplated suicide, thinking that if I do it, I will be rebirthed in a world similar to Pandora, and then everything is the same as in Avatar. And now with the advent of this second movie, fans are again bracing for the emotional, and I guess for some of them, mental impact that it might have on them as they get a glimpse again of this wonderful world, this visually stunning beauty of Pandora. Now we've been celebrating Advent these past four weeks. And so a question came up in my mind as I was reading some of these articles. Are we, as Christians, no better off than these fans who also longed for a new world? Now for them, they, they want, longed for it so much they want to escape the reality of this world. Are we, in fact, worse off as Christians because they only had to wait 13 years for the second coming of Pandora and we've been waiting a much longer time for Jesus' return. So long that perhaps God's return and the whole legitimacy of our faith and everything that we hold to be true might be called into question, is called into question by others, saying, where is God? Maybe he isn't coming back. Maybe he was never here in the first place. Maybe all this that we do Every Sunday throughout the week as we live our lives, as we sing our songs and give praise and read scripture, maybe all of this is, is made up. Just a way for us to cope with the realities of this fallen and broken world that we live in. I mean, this is to some extent what Peter was dealing with when he wrote his letter to these early Christians. He writes early on in his letter, 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's making the claim that this is not just a fictional story, a movie, a, a, a fake narrative. And right before our passage this morning, 2 Peter 3, 1-4, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of God's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, our, our ancestors fell asleep, all, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. If you're just joining us this morning, maybe you're, you're back visiting for the holidays, we've been working our way through this Advent sermon series called The Waiting Room. We've called it that because waiting is a part of life. Right? We've all, I think most of us have all waited in a waiting room, but we just waited Right? Waiting for the doctor, waiting for good news or bad news, waiting for the, the tea, waiting for an Uber. And sometimes that waiting or that waiting room is, is hard. Right? We, we heard last week from Minister Taylor who shared a, a very difficult experience when he was waiting 
for news about his uncle. Waiting is a part of the Christian life as well. Now, we celebrate Advent year after year as part of the regular rhythm of our church life together. And as we remember God's faithfulness in sending Jesus 2,000 years ago, and, and also God's faithfulness in Christ's promised return, and the hope of a new world, the hope of a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation where righteousness dwells. And so we, we look forward to the beauty and the awesomeness of this world where God will dwell with us, his people, for all of eternity. It's a new heavens and a new earth that is far superior, far more beautiful, and far more long-lasting than anything that we might see or experience in the three-hour and 12-minute long Avatar movie. And to be clear, this is not a knock against Avatar. It's visually stunning, right? Years of effort and work put put in by tons of people, right? But, but it, and as we consider it and how people, some people have responded to it, and we, we look at it and it's juxtaposed against the season of Advent that we're in right now. And so our waiting, as we wait, it should not leave us in despair or in depression, I hope. Right? Each week we light these Advent candles, that represent different things. They represent hope and peace and joy and love and light. And as we light these candles, as we read these scripture passages, these are the things that point to Jesus. These are the things that Jesus represents and brings that we can experience now because of Jesus. And so that means that we can have hope now, not despair. We can have peace, not anxiety. We can have joy, not depression. We can have love, not fear. We can have light and not darkness. This morning as we are wrapping up our sermon series on the waiting room, our passage is addressing the particular subject of waiting well. Right? If the Christian life in, is a waiting room, if we wait in life, what do we do? What do you do while, while you wait? What do you do to pass the time? Do you just kind of kick back, pull out your phone, and just do something? Scroll through uh, Facebook or Instagram or Be Real or whatever? And how do, we, how do we wait well while we're waiting? And to get to that point, what we're going to see in our passage this morning is Peter first has to, he has to encourage his readers and encourage us this morning too that our waiting is not in vain. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have a pew Bible, you can grab a pew Bible in front of you or, or your phone. If you're watching online, you can, I can pull up the web browser and, and turn with me to 2 Peter 3, 8 to 18. So we're going to look at these 10 or 11 verses. Let me read for us verses 8 to 10 for us again. The Word of God says this, But do not o- overlook this one fact, beloved, That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Peter's first point is this, that God's delay, quote-unquote, is not a reason to deny his return. This was what Peter's readers were facing, right? You had these scoffers, people who are mocking. That's what scoffers do. They scoff. They mock. They mock God's promise, saying, as we read in verse 4, where, where is the promise of his coming? Right? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. God is absent. They're, they're mocking. They're, they're saying. And, and I think... We can kind of get why they might feel that way or, or say that, why they might demonstrate this idea of skepticism, right? There are this attitude of skepticism. Like, sometimes we do that too, right? I think we all know someone for whom, when it comes to showing up to an event or class or church, for them, time is a construct. And so sometimes, for the people who, who get there on time or are already there, we'll ask, like, oh, you know, you know so-and-so is late. Like, are they coming? And then the people are there, we, re- we reason to each other, right? Oh, maybe they're not coming at all. You know, where is the promise of so-and-so's coming? Now, that's not unlike what Peter is kind of addressing in this letter. You know, though maybe, maybe... You and I do it with a little bit less scoffing and mockery and teasing. But Peter's point is that God's delay is not a reason to deny his return. And over the next few verses, he gives us a few points about why that is the case. And one of the reasons is this, that God's clock ticks to a different timetable. He's exhorting his reader, don't overlook this. Don't just pass over this truth. Remember this point. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So God's perspective on time, his timetable, is so vastly different from us. Us who, who live on this earth for a mere 80, 90, 100, 120 years. You know, time is different for our God who is everlasting. So that means that God is never late. And he's always faithful. Now, I was scrolling through Instagram the other day, and you know, they had these suggested reels and videos, right, that pop up. And, and one of them that I just so happened upon was this one from Will Smith. He recorded a video, and he was kind of doing this experiment with his kids to see what time his kids would get to the taping of his show. So he asked his kids to get there at 1 p.m. in order to start filming at 2 p.m. And so what we find is as they kind of videotape and record the kids coming in, Willow, his daughter, he uh, puts in this subtitle. He calls her the early bird, right? She shows up at 12.31 p.m. Trey is one of his other sons. He calls the most dependable son. You see him walking in at 12.46 p.m. And then the camera pans over to his other son, Jaden, his dad calling him Mr. Time is a Construct. Strolling in at 1.54 p.m. And in the description below, this is what Will Smith writes. He says, Jaden is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Now, I I think it's hard for us to say that of any human being without really scoffing or teasing or kind of like making fun of them. 
But I think with God, it's, it's different, or I hope it's different, right? Our God, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, our God, who for him, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as, as one day. God, for him, he is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. God's clock ticks to a different timetable. And I think that that can be actually hard for us to accept sometimes because everything is about our time and our timetable and our schedules and our routines, right? Everything in our life is conditioning us towards that end. We want to get things now. We want uh, Amazon Prime two-day shipping, but that's not enough. And then you have Amazon same-day shipping, but that's not enough. You, we need it now. And so you have Amazon two-hour delivery. And now I, I get notified. I don't know if you do. I get notified when my packages are 10 stops away. So now I can kind of track every single stop and count it until my packages come to my doorstep. Because I'm anticipating it. I, I need it now. Everything is about tracking the time. You got Domino's Pizza Tracker. Right? Something that maybe some of the college students have done. Right? Everything is about tracking, tracking it. So I can see when Ashton puts, begins prepping my pizza at 2.17 p.m. I can hold him accountable. Right? I can see when he puts it into the oven. And even with the packages again, right? Uh, occasionally I'll get the email that says, you know, your package is on the way but running late. We're sorry for the delay. There's a part of me that thinks, oh, no, they lost it. It's not, it's not coming at all. But when it comes to Advent, this season that we're in, the promised return of the king, God's delay is not a reason to deny his return. And that first reason is because God's clock ticks to a different timetable. God is not slow. He is patient. There's a difference. And his patience, as Peter points out, is purposeful. So verse 9, the, slow is not, uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Right? The purpose of this so-called delay is so that more people could come to repentance, come to know Jesus. God is demonstrating what we call forbearance, an intentional delay with a purpose. Some of us have experienced that before. You know, some of us had had loan forbearance during COVID. We had payments that were paused. And hopefully during that time, we didn't squander that opportunity. And what's interesting here, as we kind of look at this verse, Peter is saying that God is patient towards you. Who's the you? He's writing to these early Christians. And the you are also the Christian that he wants to reach repentance. Specifically, I mean, we can expand it to mean everyone, the whole world, because God loves the whole world. But specifically, Peter is writing and addressing and exhorting his readers, especially those who have wavered. Those who might be on the fringe right now. Those who might be tempted by some of these scoffing thoughts or scoffing attitude, and he's calling on them, there is an opportunity here to repent, to come back to God. God is patient. God is not slow, 
and his patience is purposeful. And so there's a difference. God is being active in his patience, not passive in his slowness. He is proactive, not reactive. God is walking deliberately, not dragging his feet in delay. And Peter is also quick to point out this, that God's forbearance will not be forever. Because that's what, you know, some of these scoffers were saying, right? Like, that there's no day of judgment. There's no final reckoning. Like, let's just kind of live and do whatever we want. And God is patient, for sure. God's forbearance is for now. But it won't be forever. And so the passage, Peter is making the point that, that the Lord, day of the Lord isn't canceled. It's certainly going to come. You know, otherwise... We, we would question, all of us would question God and be like, all these injustices, all this suffering, all these evil acts that we see happening in our communities, in our world that have been done, we would say to God, aren't you going to do something about it? We know that God will. He says the arrival of the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Right? It's a sudden unexpectedness. Right? You don't expect a thief. They would be a really bad thief. If you did, it doesn't matter how many smart doorbell cameras you guys have, how many security cameras with motion detection that you have set up. God is coming, and he's going to come unexpectedly. And the way Peter describes the purpose of all of this is not simply just to dissolve this creation, create a new creation, a new heavens and new earth, but also to expose evil and to remove it completely. This is what Peter writes in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God's forbearance is not forever. Much like the COVID loan forbearance is not forever. Much like the extensions that you guys get from your teachers for your papers that are due yesterday or a week ago. They're not going to be forever. It all comes. The first three sermons in this series, you know, they were waiting for the weary, waiting to see, waiting for the one. And so now we ask, like, well, our waiting is not in vain, but how do we wait well? So here's the second point that Peter gives to us this morning. Do not presume upon God's patience. And he gives three commands, generally, of what it looks like for us not to presume upon God's patience, not to just take it for granted. First, live holy and godly lives. Three times we, uh, in these, these couple verses, we see this idea of waiting repeated. Verses 11 and 12, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Go to verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In the season of Abbot, we look back to Christ breaking into our world and, and dying on the cross. But we also look forward to his return. God dwelling with us in a new heaven and a new earth, a place where, where there is righteousness. 
There's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. This is a beauty that is far greater than what we might encounter or experience in Avatar or any other movie or in this life. And Peter is calling his readers. He's, he's telling us, look at that. He's, and let us live in light of that even today. And so waiting is not a, a passive attitude. Sometimes I feel like a lot of the waiting that we do in life, it's very passive because we're just trying to pass the time. But this waiting that Peter is exhorting us to, to wait well, it's an orientation of our entire life towards this eschatological, this final hope that we have in Jesus. The point is, is that it's even made that, that in our living, holy, in our living holy and godly lives as we wait, we also hasten the coming of his return. There's an active nature to it. This doesn't take away from God's plan or his sovereignty, but he invites us, he includes us as part of it. And the way for us to do that, the easiest way, is just to look to Jesus as our example. Jesus, who during Advent, uh, this Advent and Christmas season, he, he came, remember, we came into our world in the most humbling of ways, born in a manger, living a sin-free life, loving his enemies, not lording his lordship over anyone, even though he is the Lord. Dying on the cross, ultimately to pay the penalty and punishment of our sins. He paid off our loan. He paid off our debt. Now that day is still coming. The question for us now is, are we living today as if that debt still hasn't been paid? Are we still living to try and pay off a debt that has already been paid? Are we living knowing that it has been paid and let us live in, in response of gratitude and obedience? There's a, an important distinction there, right? The, the motivation, the reason is completely different. Even if outwardly it might look very similar. The second command for what it means to not presume upon God's patience is this. Consider the purpose of God's patience. We kind of talked about this earlier. Right? In the beginning of our passage, Peter gives a command to not overlook this one fact. And, and if we were to kind of go even earlier, we would see this contrast because Peter is indicting these opponents, these scoffers, in verse 5, because they actually overlook another fact, which is that God actually did intervene. He intervened many times in history. When by his word he spoke creation into existence, by his word, he judged the world with a flood. By his word, he will judge right, unrighteousness and evil on that day. He intervened also when Jesus came as the living word. And so to consider the purpose of God's patience for us, you and I this morning, is to kind of view this so-called delay not negatively as, you know, you know lateness. Right? God, is, God is late. He's not, he's not going according to my watch. But, but to view it as, in a positive sense, as an opportunity for us to continue in repentance and grace-filled grace -filled gratitude and obedience. It's as Peter writes in verse 15, to consider the patience as salvation and not as desertion. One last command, verses 17 to 18. 
You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So the last command, the last instruction, exhortation for us. Guard yourselves and grow in grace and knowledge. We're given a warning here that, uh, to take care that we're not carried away. So we get this idea of guarding ourselves. It's an, it's an image. The language is giving us an image of losing our footing, of slipping, of tripping, of losing our stability. You know, some of us, have, all of us probably have lost our footing before. We've tripped. We've fallen. Sometimes when we fall to the ground, it's not a big deal, especially when we're young. But different story when we get a little bit older. The stakes are even much higher now when Peter says to guard yourselves. Many years ago when I was younger and in peak shape, this was single college, Pastor Jeff, before kids, before marriage, before dating. You know, I, my friends and I, we would do a lot of reckless things because we, were, we thought we were invincible. So we went jumping off these cliffs and uh, waterfalls. And, you know, because we're young and, you know, we do... We do things that you should not do. So this is not an example to follow. This is an example to avoid. You know, so this, you can see this picture. It was the area that we were jumping from. So I get to one of the ledges. Water is still flowing down, as you can kind of see, from this dam or waterfall or whatever it is. And I'm trying to retain my stability. It's similar to kind of what Peter is talking about, but in a very physical sense. To secure my footing as I make my way near the edge. Now, I can't really do a, a running start because there's not enough space. The rocks are, are too wet. And so I'm inching my way, getting kind of low to the ground, getting nearer and closer to the edge. I'm going to leap off from there. And so as I stand there, I get ready to jump. And as I jump, my foot slips on one of the wet rocks. I don't have the traction that I actually need to to jump far enough out from the ledge or to make a really epic jumping picture. Instead, this picture shows me wildly flailing as I fall to what actually there's a lot of shallower rocks right underneath, right near the ledge, underneath the water. Now, fortunately, as I ended up falling and landing, I, I landed on my entire side. And my feet up, so my, my, my side kind of slows the impact and breaks the fall. And that side was, was like red, all completely red from hitting the water hard. But it probably saved my life, you know, because there were all these rocks underneath. And it was because, what happened? I, didn't, I lost my footing. I didn't guard myself. I didn't take care not to be carried away by the water. Now, fortunately, by God's grace, I, I survived. For those of you who know my testimony, I don't have a great track record with water and injuries. And we can talk about that later. But well, what happened after, after I, I landed? Went back up to jump again. Because <laughs> kids are foolish. And I was foolish. But look, Peter is exhorting us to guard ourselves. And unlike my incident here, There's no going up again. We just have this one life. 
The message translation puts it this way. But you, friends, are well warned. Be on guard lest you lose your footing and get swept off by your feet by these lawless and loose-talking teachers. Now, not only are we to guard ourselves, but our passage also ends with a positive exhortation to grow in grace and knowledge. There's a, a need for us to consider the importance. There's a need for the progress and growth in the Christian life. And so we ask ourselves, I ask you this morning, in our waiting, are we growing? That is, that is how we know that we're waiting well, as we continue to grow. Are we growing in experiencing and appreciating God's grace to us? So much so that it actually impacts our relationships. It impacts our daily attitude. It impacts what we say and what we do. It, it impacts how we demonstrate all that and, and show that grace to others. Are we also growing in our knowledge of him? And a knowledge that isn't just to make our heads bigger, right? But that would work itself out in our hearts, in our lives. We talked about our second core value of being scripture-driven, right? We look to scripture to know God and to navigate the demands of everyday, everyday life. But one of the marks that was associated with that core value, if you remember, was let us not just be Scripture-driven, but let us also be shaped by Scripture. And so we asked ourselves, how are we becoming a, a parable of Jesus? How is my life a way that reflects and points to Jesus? During this Advent season of waiting, and during this waiting room of life, let us, Crossbridge, brothers and sisters, let us wait well together, remembering God's patience and living in light of his promise and certain return. And, and as Ted, our worship leader, this morning began to asking us to consider what gift can we give our king? Let us give our worship. Let us worship him together. Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you for your, your promises, your faithfulness. We give thanks that you are sure and true and that our waiting is not in vain. So help us, God, by your spirit and your word to wait well together. In Jesus' name we pray.